Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you again this week. And this week, I think we have a very special program and one I've been looking forward to for a long time because everybody is concerned about transportation and how fast our state is growing and how many needs we have in the area of transportation. And so we have as our guest this week, Eric Boyette, who is the Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina. And uh, we'll introduce him and let him start talking in just a moment. But first of all, let me tell you that uh, the Department of Transportation includes not only highways and roads, but also aviation, ferries, rail, public transit, bicycle, pedestrian transportation, and the Department of Motor Vehicles. So it's a, it's a big, 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 big job. So Eric, welcome to the program. Delighted to have you with us. And uh, uh, I know that you've got lots of interesting information about us. And so I'm going to start off by asking you about the impact of COVID-19 and how that's changed your operation and what it's uh, the situation that it uh, puts the Department of Transportation into as we look at your needs today. Sure, sure. That's a great question. And I can tell you when um, I first uh, arrived back in DOT, I'm a 25 plus year, I'm not going to say how many total year uh, veteran with the department, but I was actually over as secretary for department information, came back in 2020, about two weeks before COVID hit. Um, so, you know, for us, our revenue you know, is generated mainly from uh, gas tax and when people stopped driving, we saw our revenue plummet. Um, so we really had to, you know, really tighten our belt and look at things that were, you know, specifically safety oriented um, around our expenditures to make sure we were, you know, doing what's best for the traveling public and also monitoring our budgets uh, appropriately. So it, it was really challenging, but our team, as they always do, stepped up and did a great job. Um, we had to delay some things like mowing cycles and litter pickup. But, you know, those things we have obviously picked back up now. Uh, we're, we're back where we can, you know, spend our, our budget appropriately on the items that we need to that are really helping North Carolina look clean and green. And we're just glad that we could do that. And it also impacted, you know, our staff. We, we did a great job of the ones who could work remote. We don't have as many opportunities for that as other departments do because we are very service oriented for our traveling public between the ferry operators or transportation workers, our DMV license examiners. There's a lot of opportunity there where we're face to face with our customers. So we couldn't do remote work there, but where we could, we switched to remote work um, as best we could. And, you know, we've, we went through that process and started back um, you know, back to normal operations, uh, maybe about a year later when everyone started to, you know, see the pandemic subside a little bit and feel more comfortable about how it looks to us you know, in the future. But it was, it was a challenging time, but the good thing is, you know, our finances are very stable and we're, we're just glad to get to this point where we are today. Well, so much of your work has to be long range planning. And so you had certain goals for each year. Did that basically put the plans off in some cases and delay them? Or are you back to where you can look at your calendar and say, we're kind of back on schedule? It, it you know, you bring up a great point. One of the things that we saw, not only with, you know, our sales with our agency, but our contract workforce, you know, they experienced the same things we did. They have to 
you know, they had to do some delays. Uh, the you know, workforce had to change some. So with that, we did experience some delays in projects um, because of the workforce issues and, you know, having to make sure that we were ready uh, and also our contractors were ready, the availability that they had with their workers. So it did push some of our projects back um, and, you know, we continue to look at projects. We work with our communities well on how, what's important to them because the way we do selection is, it is based on the community needs through, um, through our prioritization projects and they have the inputs on what they want in their communities. We're there to help execute those needs. Well, North Carolina, of course, is a rapidly growing state. And of course, that growth is kind of uneven, but it uh, presents a situation where uh, the 20 or so counties that are growing very rapidly have one set of problems. And yet uh, the other 80 counties uh, need the transportation uh, in order to uh, begin their growth or return to a period of growth where they can develop economically as well. How do you decide what comes first? What, in the budget process, uh, what, what goes into deciding if, say, we've got $100 million to spend, where that's spent and how, how do you decide who gets what when? <laughs> so uh, another great question, and that's where you know, our prioritization work group um, and our MPOs, our metropolitan planning organizations, and our rural planning organizations, our RPOs, you know, they meet with the um, citizens and with the locals, the officials, elected officials, and they really work on what the needs are in that region. And we work with them, you know, hand in hand and work at priorities. Um, so we've got, you know, regional needs, statewide needs, and division needs that we separate those categories into, and we weight them in a scoring system and based on our STI law, our strategic transportation law. And that's what helps us guide through that process. So, you know, the, the department doesn't get to pick the, the projects. Um, we are there to help, you know, move through the process and then in the end make sure they're executed on and delivered on and that's where you know we're making sure that we're as transparent as we can be and ensure all of the citizens and the the locals understand where we are on their projects now uh you know one of the in many respects uh uh you're faced with the same problem a hospital is when they remodel or try to grow uh you've got to keep going while you're growing and I know a lot of the highways that you're expanding, you have to keep traffic moving. And uh, how much does that slow down a project versus just building a, a brand new highway? How much longer does it take, uh, for example, on Highway 70 south of Raleigh, uh, that uh, tremendous amount of construction that's going on where you're converting from two lanes to four lanes and so forth versus just building new construction? Sure. It, it is more challenging, obviously, when you already have commuters uh, on your routes and, you know, one of the <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, we, we have a lot of a uh, lot of automobiles on our roads right now. We've got about nine million registered vehicles in North Carolina alone. So we've got a lot of uh, automobiles ready to hit the road. But it is. You're, you're wait, exactly I, I want to be sure I heard that. We've got nine million registered vehicles. Yes, sir. Around nine million registered vehicles on the roadway. And we've got 10 million people, so that's almost one per person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I think some may wow. have two, but yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, 
but we do we've got you know and you're exactly right anytime we do what we call a, a new green or a greenfield route where you know it's a it's a new road being built without any traffic uh it is a lot easier um but you know when we do have routes that we have to expand or we have to modify you know our contractors do a great job of looking at those volumes and bringing us great proposals around you know is it better to do you know night work is that better for not only you know the traffic volumes but the communities as well so you know we really work with them on the design side and the you know pe to preliminary engineering to find out what is best for the area and how do we handle it um and it's one of those things where you know during that process it's very frustrating i think for a lot of our drivers me included because i'm i take the roads just like everyone else but the end result is very positive for you know the community when we finalize that project and open that roadway from your point like from a two lane to a four lane or if we're increasing you know the amount of um, you know uh, bicycle and pedestrian traffic that we can add to that route that's always a plus as well so how do we you know how do we work on all of our modes in the area so we can ensure that we're covering all of our areas of transportation I want to spend a good bit of time in a future segment of this program talking about your budget and where money comes from and is the model uh, that's basically based on gasoline tax, is that model going to supply you with the funds you need? But I've got another question I want to ask you. I was traveling on Highway 70 to Moorhead City last week and I saw a sign, I think around uh, Kinston, that said future interstate. Now, what does that mean, future interstate? Yes, sir. So the future uh, I-42. So it's, it's a designation by our federal partners that we, you know, we're looking at expansion of that roadway to allow for it to be an actual interstate designation. Um, there's some things that we have to do there to you know, ensure it meets those qualifications. But right now, the, the way the roadway is aligned and um, the intersections that are there there's not a lot of you know at grade intersections or convenience for uh, side traffic to hit that route um, we're you know we're working towards you know those goals to when you see those signs our goals are to make that an interstate route um, it's so very that good mean, that would mean getting rid of things like stoplights at interchanges is that correct it is, and anytime you, anytime you're there, if you have, you know, just a side street that's coming over, you know, it may not have a signal, it just have a stop sign there. So any of the at-grade crossings that you see like that, you know, we would have to remove. Um, so we really try to focus on if there's a process for that in the future or a thought for another route that wants to be an interstate route. How do we plan ahead and work with the locals and the, you know, the community to ensure that. You know, we, we try to limit as many of those at grades as we can so that it's prepared for, you know, the future interstate routes and we can consider it as an interstate route as soon as possible. Okay, now I've got a personal question. I go to Moorhead City, that's where I vacation. And of course, right now I'm having to drive right straight through Havelock. Now, right. There's a bypass built around uh and it looks like it's been under construction for a good while what where is the status of it like i said this is a personal question when's that, <laughs> that, when's that bypass going to be where don curtis can travel on it that, that is a great question i'm gonna have to get you the answer to that one um i know they're making great progress that's one of the projects that um they're really making good progress on uh, i've seen a lot of the aerial video lately um 
and looking at the progress. I can tell you it is on time. Um, but I do not know. Honestly, I don't want to tell you a, a fiction novel here and tell you something that's not accurate. So I, we will get you that date. Well, I would love to have it because I think there's something like 25 stoplights I have to go through. Now, they have done a pretty good job of timing those stoplights to where yes. uh, it moved through pretty rapidly. But that's going to really speed up travel from Raleigh to uh, Moorhead City considerably because I'm, I'm guessing that'll have 15 or, or deduct 15 to 20 minutes from the trip down there. So that's the reason I'm so anxious to, to find out when. And I want you to do it. I'm getting old. You need to, you need to get on with this so that I can uh, enjoy that road uh, for more than just a couple of years. I need to enjoy that road for about 10 or 12 years. So uh, as a personal favor, if you uh, how about speeding that thing up a good bit? Our guest is Eric Boyette. And as I said in the next segment, we're going to talk about the budget and where the funds come from that uh, Eric at the North Carolina uh, Department of Transportation has to deal with in building our roads and upgrading them. And of course, all the other functions that that, that department does as well. And we will do that when we come back right after these messages. To some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest this week, Eric Boyette. He is the uh, Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Transportation, and he was appointed to that position by Governor Roy Cooper in February of 2020. So about two years into the job, well, two years and a couple of months into the job. And as he said, he started out with COVID. So he's gone through some very interesting times. But I want to talk about in this segment budgets because uh, uh, so much of uh, the construction work, of course, comes from gasoline tax and with electric cars on the scene and also cars getting better mileage, that's uh, uh, putting a limitation on some of the funds that are coming in. So where are you going to get the money to deal with problems that you that you have and all the challenges and all the wonderful opportunities for increasing our transportation system and you know as we look you know we have about a five billion dollar budget uh for mix of state and federal funds and you're exactly right the gas tax for us makes up over half 
of you know our revenue. So as we look at electric cars and also hybrid cars, you know anything that reduces the amount of uh, fuel consumption in vehicles, you know we're paying attention to it and we're working with our partners uh, between you know our legislative members, um, you know our our partners that we work with each and every day, and the governor's office on what does our future revenue look like. Um, it, it is it is something the conversations are very active. And I, I think it's one of the things that we've all talked about. There's not one single answer to that. There's not one replacement. We've got to look at it from a broad view and ask ourselves, what does the mix look like for the future? You know, what do we need to do to replace the gas tax? And at what point does it fade away? And how do we do that in a, in a way that everyone you know, agrees to, and it's not impacting one, you know, set of individuals, but, you know, we've got a lot of options. Um, we know, you know, we convened uh, our NC First team here at uh, North Carolina Department of Transportation, and they came up with a lot of great, you know, opportunities for us for new revenue. Um, the, the Senate uh, came up with an NC10 committee that took those you know, recommendations, worked on those during our last session, budget session. And, you know, we continue to talk and have those conversations. And we know that it's something that we're going to have to, you know, replace at some point in time. As you mentioned, you know, we've got some great opportunities. You see some uh, commerce that you know, has happened here in North Carolina with Toyota battery plant. We've got VinFast, you know, facilities being built. So we see it firsthand here in North Carolina what the future holds for the combustion engine. And, you know, our dealers association are all on board. They're all on board with the future of electric cars. So we see it from all of our partners. And but it's it's going to be a tough decision. And I know that, you know, when we're looking to our lawmakers for, you know, how do we how do we replace the gas tax and at what time and what frequency? Um, it's not an easy answer. And I know we're having good conversations and we'll continue to have those. Now, I, I would say that North Carolina is getting its toe in the water as far as toll roads, but what do you see as the future of toll roads as a part of that solution? I, I think it's an opportunity. You know, when you talk about you know, tolling in North Carolina, we, you know, we do have those opportunities here um, and we, you know, we're taking advantage of those when we can. And we're also looking at, you know, what do we do with, um, there's a, there's an option called vehicle miles travel, VMT, for how do we, you know, how do we gauge how many miles, you know, a vehicle travels on our roadway? And, you know, it's almost like a virtual toll that, you pay for what you use. So how does that relate back? So we're trying to work with what the communities want and how does it affect you know their area back to, you know, we we're the execution partners, you know. So what works well in their area and how do we help them understand, you know, the the, the benefits of you know each and every opportunity and option for them in that area. I'm going to kind of change the subject here and get away from the budget. I may come back to the budget in just a, get, a minute, but I wanted to put this in perspective. But North Carolina, as I understand, has one of the largest state-maintained highway systems in the nation. And uh, at one point in time, I think I read we had more secondary roads than any state. Is that true, or where do we rate as far as uh, comparing with other states? So we are second with 
little over 82,000 miles of roadway that we maintain. We're only second behind Texas. And we are, um, yes, there's a lot of roadways. Uh, my peers uh, do not have the volume of uh, maintenance expenses that we do based on that, you know, that number of road miles. But, you know, our, our team does a great job of making sure that we continue to maintain, you know, to your point earlier, talking about new construction. You know, if every road that we construct, we have to maintain that road and we need funding for that as well. So we continue to talk about, we call it our general maintenance reserve and how we maintain, you know, the roads that are already built. So that, that, those dollars are very important as well. So second in the nation in number of miles, and that includes some states that are geographically bigger than us by a long shot. That's a lot. Did you say 82,000 miles? Is that correct? Yes, sir. Over 82,000 this year. And we also have the second largest ferry vessel system in the uh, United States as well. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on because people, a lot of people don't know that the Department of Transportation handles ports and ferries and aviation and other modes of transportation. I want to get to that a little bit later on. So sure. basically, we've got 9 million cars traveling yep. on 82,000 yep. miles of roads. And, uh, of course, in addition to everything else, uh, you've got safety concerns because the roads have to be built to, to the point where they are also as safe as could be in order to cut down on uh, deaths and accidents and so forth. That adds to the cost, I suspect, a good bit in many cases. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the department has, you know, we've always put safety first uh, for, you know, our traveling public and, you know, our visitors uh, that are traveling through North Carolina. And we have a governor's highway safety team um, that, you know, their program is, that's what they're dedicated to. They're dedicated to reducing the number of accidents and uh, crashes on our uh, highway system. So, you know, they work towards, you know, working with our law enforcement partners, you know, public outreach campaigns. I'm sure you've all heard about, you know, booze it, lose it, click it and ticket. They're the campaigns that our teams work with um, our locals and our, you know, great partnership there with our state highway patrol, uh, with Colonel Johnson and his team. And we also work on, there's a program called Vision Zero. We've got about 10 communities now, a little more than 10, that this locally based plans on how do we improve safety in the areas. Um, and, you know, it, it's, been a, it's been a rough few years when you look at our numbers because they have gone up. Uh, our traffic accidents and deaths on North Carolina has, has really, you know, the last few years has been on a rise and it's something that our team is really focused on looking at. Is it the design? What are we doing? You know, what can we do to reduce those numbers? But it, it is something that we take very seriously here and try to find ways to partner and get education out about, you know, speeding, the different things, distracted driving, the things that we've seen, you know, create uh, those accidents and those fatalities. Well, uh, you know, I, I, in a way, I hate to bring this up, but uh, but basically, uh, on the major highways in high traffic times, there's not much way that the law enforcement people can enforce the speed limit without causing a traffic jam. And uh, I'm sure that's a problem. And yet, uh, it uh, speed uh, does play a, a big part in all this, but effectively in many cases is there's not really a, a, a speed limit anymore on some in certain circumstances i'm sure that worries you but there's not much you can do about it is there 
what I think for us, you know, it's not always speeding. Speeding is one of the contributing factors, but you've got, you know, we have a lot of distracted drivers. Um, and it could be in those areas that you're talking about. But when you, you know, we're, we're really a large state and a rural state. And when you get outside of those areas on some of our secondary routes and primary routes, um, we really have opportunity there to improve um, with, you know, education about speeding and, you know, paying attention. Just pay attention to what you're doing. Look around you. Um, defensive driving. Um, just education, I think, really to help, you know, our drivers and especially our young drivers uh, to make sure that when we're, you know, putting them on the roadway, we've given them the best, you know, education and partnership there that we can do. Well, uh, the cell phone has not helped that whole matter because the, the, the distracted driver very often is talking on the cell phone, whether it's uh, Hellhound advice or Bluetooth. But that's not very uh, that's not very efficient because obviously their focus can't be uh, is going to be somewhat subdivided. I don't know. I've often wondered if it's not possible to uh, pass a law that there's a light on top of the car that when the cell phone is in uh, use, the, the light comes on. And so at least everyone around them would know that the driver is on the cell phone. That's an interesting, uh, interesting approach. I know um, here I would love to have it because when I walk up to someone who's on the phone, it, it would help me understand whether or not they're talking or not when I'm trying to speak to them. So um, never heard that uh, opportunity before, but any way that we could, you know, reduce the crashes and the fatalities, you know, we're, we're always listening to our partners um, and just trying to find better ways to, you know, improve. Um, and, you know, we do a great job on, you know, our education, but that's why we have partners to make sure that we're listening. And when there's, you know, op opportunities there, we want to make sure we're taking advantage of every opportunity we have with our partner. And so many of the technological advances, like the little lights that flash in your mirror when there's a car coming up on one side or the other, or the, uh, the uh, uh, speakers that uh, come on when you are crossing a lane, all, the, all those technological advances certainly have made me a safer driver because uh, every time I make a silly move, uh, something buzzes or a light comes on, and that's, that's good. And, of course, the cars are so much better made today than they were, say, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So we are making some progress, but uh, we still have some problems. Um, yes. So, uh, I, I, as I said, I want to get back to the budget just a little bit. Uh, so, what is your, going to be, uh, your request this year to the General Assembly? Because um, with inflation, I'm sure that costs are going up, and I, I'm just guessing that you're finding that either acquiring new land or uh, putting out bids are coming in higher than you maybe expected, maybe as recently as four months ago. Uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. We've got a, um, you know, if you look at our STIP, which is our capital program, um, it actually outlays what we can afford, you know, to do for our communities. What projects can we deliver? And, you know, between, you know, right-of-way costs, you know, utility adjustments, um, and just construction costs. Um, our partners are seeing increases in, you know, labor, um, material, it's it's all escalated so we really we're in about a eight billion dollar uh, funding gap that's not dollar that's not you know it's not current cash that's revenue looking towards the future 
So we're, we're trying to look at, you know, what options do we have and working with our communities on, you know, what their needs are and how do we match our revenue with what their needs are. Is how much uh, aid are we getting from the federal government these days? So if you look at IJA, which is great historic investment, we're getting about uh, our formula is about 32% and 21% of that is strictly for highways. I didn't want to go too far. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a significant part of your budget. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other areas of concern that fall under the uh, uh, Department of Transportation and its uh, secretary, Eric Boyette, who's our guest. And we'll do that when we return right after these messages. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Eric Boyette. He's the Secretary of the Department of Transportation. He's been in that role since February 2020, when he was appointed to, to, to serve by Governor Roy Cooper. We've talked about budgets. We've talked about uh, a, a little bit of construction concerns and things of that nature. Uh, I do have one fun thing I want to ask you about before we get to a more serious area of uh, talking about some of the other areas that you uh, handle in the Department of Transportation. I'd like to know where you store all those orange barrels when they're not in use and also those concrete barriers. Where do they go? Is there some graveyard where you store all those orange barrels that uh, we see wherever there's construction? And uh, uh, maybe right now with so much construction going on, you don't need to store them. But uh, I've often wondered where where you put all those concrete uh, barriers. So we, you know, honestly, I hope we don't have any stored. I hope we have them all out on our roadway. We've got that much work going on. But yeah, that's a great question. Our contractors, uh, you know, that's part of their supply that they you know perform during those projects. They they'll have that equipment out and they'll have those barriers out there, whether it would be a cone or a you know barrel or actually uh, one of the Jersey barricades. But it's a uh, and we do have some in stock, you know, we do as, you know, as a team, you know, cause we do some of our own work, but 
especially during storms. Uh, so we have a central supply here in Raleigh for our division staff. We got 14 divisions that work locally, but we also have some here for them during storms. But yeah, we there's a lot of uh, barrels and cones out on the roadway right now and barricades. So, but that's a good sign for us. That means we're making progress. Well, maybe we uh, you know, we got a state bird and a state flower. Maybe we ought to have a state uh, uh, yeah. barrel. I'm, you know, yeah. But uh, and, so anyway, let's uh, let's turn to some of the other functions that uh, are handled in your department. Uh, air transportation, aviation is one of them. The ferries, which you met a few months ago, I think you said we have the largest ferry system. Is that correct? It's the second largest behind Washington. Second largest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fifth anniversary, actually. Now we have, uh, you know, the coast is an interesting situation because you, uh, on those outer banks from a lot of times, especially every time we have a major storm, you have a lot of washouts, but also the ferries connect those islands together. Um, uh, how is that funded and, and uh, what are the plans, long range plans for increasing uh, the expenditures on the roads that connect the barrier islands together? So, you know, the, the appropriation we have is directly assigned to our ferry system. We've got seven, you know, regular routes uh, on our coastline. And, you know, you're, you're exactly right. They, not only do they provide that continuous service for our visitors and our residents, but you mentioned it during, you know, during situations where we have emergencies, um, they're also there as an emergency route uh, when we have issues that we need to get people moved along those islands back and forth. But it, it's just something that, you know, we continue to have. We we continue to invest and look at opportunities there that we can improve, you know, performance. Our ferry team has done a great job of looking at, you know, opportunities there. And, you know, we just, it's a great opportunity for us to share, uh, especially if you look at the commerce side of what, you know, those vehicles moving across, uh, what they bring to that region uh, is just, it's, it's great, great opportunity for us to just be a partner there with our communities. I'll bring up two, uh, actually three words, and then just turn it loose for you to comment on them. Those three words are rail, and the other two words are public transit. We hear a lot of conversation about public transit. We don't see much action but we see a lot of talk about plans and ways that it might work. And of course it all involves rail. Uh, so as I said, I'm just gonna sort of open uh, you up with those uh, three words and let you tell us what you see as the future in North Carolina for the development of rail between cities and also public transit that serve local areas. Sure, and I, I'll start with rail. Rail is one of the ways that, you know, it's a great, it's a safe and efficient way for us to move goods um, along, you know, our routes in North Carolina. And we've got over 3,000 miles of rail of railway that we actually work with on passenger and freight. And, you know, we actually were doing, are still doing uh, record setting ridership on our Amtrak partnership that we have uh, with our rail service and our rail division. We've got, you know, the Carolinian trains that we, that we monitor and run. And it's just a you know, tremendous amount of volume there compared to the rest of the nation we get. We get some good feedback on that from our uh, my partners in other states and about how good we're doing. And, it, and it's important there. And 
you know, we also have a great partnership with um, with the intermodal network and Rocky Mount, the CCX and the CSX partnership there, and how that Carolina connector is helping us between you mentioned our ports. Um, so that connection there from our ports to that connector that helps us get product out to the Midwest and also back into North Carolina is important on that freight shipment. And, you know, that helps us because it takes truck traffic off the roadway. Uh, so another investment there, another good opportunity. And Charlotte Gateway, you mentioned Charlotte Gateway a little bit. Um, so another multimodal facility that we're partnering with the um, city of Charlotte. And it's really moving along. We've got a couple of phases there. I think phase one, we're looking at hopefully have completed at the end of 2022. So we'll work on that. And that's the rail infrastructure and the platforms that are needed there. So the next phase will be the actual station and like multi-use uh, development there. When you talk about public transportation, though, we've got a we've got a great division there um, that you know we we work hard with our partners, and that's that's one thing you hear me say a lot is the partnership, and you know we've created a a way for us. We don't manage the transit, I mean the uh, public transportation, but we also partner with them and we help support them in every way. And we've got a, a unit called Integrated Mobility Division where we've merged our bike and ped and public transit together in 2019 to help focus more on all three of those. And one of the ways was very successful. If you look at the city of Wilson, um, we had a partnership with them about it's a product called it's microtransit. So if you think about public transportation, the buses that you normally see, this actually broke it down to smaller vehicles, vans, you know, that were more affordable. And it's almost like an Uber. So if you needed a ride, you know, you have an app or a phone that you call and you could get that ridership a lot smaller and they tripled their numbers. Their numbers were really um, incredible. They lowered their wait times and it's just more reliable. So that's a good partnership there that showed a great success story. And that has expanded to other municipalities that are looking at, you know, this micro transit option. And we've looked at, you know, our Cassie, which is our auto autonomous vehicle and our shuttle that, you know, we deployed first at the Wright Brothers Memorial in Kitty Hawk. And it was the first time ever that we've had an autonomous vehicle at a national park. And we put it out at Cary recently about, I think we're getting ready to start that. So, that's another one at Bond Park we're working on. So those options and then just working on, you know, how do we how do we improve, you know, those services? And it's back to promotion and how do we look at our you know bike routes, the different things that we maintain, but you can't do it in a vacuum. And we have to look at it as a holistic approach. And I think that's why it was a great move for us to have, you know, the IMD group uh, with that. So you know, there's about over 600,000 people in North Carolina that do not have a vehicle. I know we talked about our large numbers, but it are people without vehicles. And we've got to find ways for them, you know, to also get to, you know, jobs, health care, education, the things that we all need each and every day. And that's what this team is focused on. Um, and, you know, they're doing a great job working with our locals and coming up with great ideas like the micro transit to help, you know, all of our locals get what they need. I've been a part of the triangle since 1982, and during most of that time, I've heard conversation about uh, mass transit or a, a 
rail line in uh, that connects Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill together. And yet, uh, there's been a lot of planning, a good bit of money spent. But uh, where are we? I mean, I, it doesn't seem like there's uh, anything really moving on that. I know that involves the local counties and the local municipalities as well. But what's what's the uh, progress report on that, and how how far away for we from perhaps having some form of uh, transit of that type, light rail? So I think you know we continue to once again it's a partnership. So as we work with, you know, the locals and the municipalities on their, you know, their needs and what they want in their communities, um, it is, you're right, it continues to be a conversation. Um, there is no firm date, but we are, you know, having those conversations and talking about the needs in the community and where, you know, where these needs rank. And it always is a discussion that we have. And we're continuing to have those conversations, which I think is the important part. Um, we got to make sure we do the assessments and walk through what does that future look like. And it, it keeps coming up in conversations. And I can tell you the, the number of times it comes up now has increased. And it tells me that there's more focus on it uh, from the community level, which is where, you know, we've got to make sure that we're doing our part to help deliver. And any type of, you know, anything that they need from us, any type of resources, we try to make sure we have for them too. How far are we away from having high-speed inner-city uh, transit on rail? Uh, I know I've taken the uh, train to Charlotte, and the interesting thing is the number of stops it makes. It's wonderful because you can work along the way, but it also takes longer because a uh, number of stops and then the speed, uh, of course, slows down each time they go through a city. Uh, where did, how do we get to high-speed rail between the major cities of Raleigh, Greensboro, and Charlotte? So I think, you know, that's once again, I, you know, I use that word partnership. RTA is really helping us, you know, and helping the communities look at, you know, what are those options and how do we work together to deliver high rail, you know, high speed rail. Um, I know Charlotte is, you know, really ahead um, as far as inside you know, the city, um, looking at the community of what it serves. They've done a great job. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, the partnership for RTA is really important for us. And we're continuing to work with them. Uh, had a great, uh, some great exposure in Florida recently to talk about high-speed rail and look at the options and what can we do together as a team to make sure we're headed in the right direction and doing the laying, you know, the planning now for the future. Interesting. I'm going to ask you one more budget question because uh, this is a big one. If you had all the money you need to bring all of the roads and bridges up to standard uh, here in North Carolina, how far, how many, how many dollars do we need and how far behind are we in getting those dollars just to bring the bridges and the roads up to standards? Well, I, I guess, you know, our bridges are, are very, um, are safe and secure. That's one thing that, you know, we want to make sure all the public understands that, you know, we do inspections um, on all of our bridges and routes, um, not only by federal law, but we, we do that um, here. But when you look at our needs, you know, if you look at our future needs, we, we you know, our capital budget is about $30 billion, around 25 to $30 billion for 10 years um, on our programs. And like I said, we're about $8 billion short. So, and that's only on a 10 year span. 
So if you figure, you know, we've got we've got a hole to cover, um, but that's not including all of our wish list. That's just the uh, that's just the needs of the community that come out through our STIP and our STI program that we monitor and manage. So I, I imagine that dollar would be very high if we want to get into our wish list. Um, but you know, just talking about our current needs and what we know the next ten years is we're about eight billion dollars below where we should be on revenue. And that's just to maintain. And uh, as you said, doesn't get to the wish list. It's where we would really like to be able to say we're headed is working on the, the wish list. Well, uh, we've got one final segment coming up with our guest, Eric Boyette. He's the Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina. And we'll have that final segment coming up right after these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. A reminder that a number of our stations carry a half-hour version of this program, while others carry the full hour. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version, and you'd like to hear the two segments that you missed, one of which involved budgets, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments, as well as a repeat of the entire broadcast if you'd like to share it with a friend. Our guest this week is Eric Boyette. He's the uh, Secretary of Transportation of the State of North Carolina has been in the job two years and a couple of three months. He was uh, he came in right with COVID, as a matter of fact, and that created a very interesting transition for him, I'm sure. Uh, we've talked about all sorts of things, including the budgets and the and the safety concerns and the fact that North Carolina is growing rapidly. And one of the things that he mentioned that I want to repeat before we get to ask him another question. And that is we have 9 million registered car or vehicles in North Carolina and 82,000 miles of roads. That's what this department has to look after in addition to these other areas. And one of those other areas is very important to our future, and that's North Carolina ports. And that also falls under your, uh, your uh, department. So, Eric, why don't you tell us about North Carolina's ports and how important they are to North Carolina's economy? Sure, and I, you know, especially during the times that we're seeing right now, um, we've, um, you know, the shipping 
you know, so the supply chain issues and everything you're seeing. We've got two deep water um, terminals and one inland port uh, serving Carolina, the Port of Wilmington, the Port of Moorhead, and then our inland terminal, which is in Charlotte. So, you know, the way those you know, operations are working with over you know, 4 million tons of general cargo that they process a year uh, and about a thousand ships, you know, call on our ports annually. So it, it's just the volume of what we're seeing increase through both ports and our inland port is just tremendous. And, you know, we've set capacity records uh, last year. We're on a track to do that again this year. And very business focused. Um, that team there led by Brian Clark, they do a great job of, you know, recruiting. Uh, we've done a great job of launching into a, a new area for uh, refrigeration and how do we work with, you know, goods, you know, shipments there for refrigerated needs. A lot of grocery store, you know, items and things like that they're working through. And we've been great uh, to look at, you know, expansion. How do we invest in our ports? Um, so we're continuing to do that. And it's just, you know, with the ports, I mentioned, you know, our CCX facility, the Carolina Connector, and that partnership has just been, it's just been phenomenal. And, you know, how we work together uh, for the future. And, it, you know, we continue to invest, continue to look at, you know, the opportunities there for our ports and how, you know, they recruit um, has been phenomenal for me to watch them grow. Uh, within my short time here. It, 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 we say you had 4 million uh, tons of, and a uh, thousand ships. How much capacity do we have remaining? How much could we handle at full capacity? So, you know, when you look at the general cargo, um, we, we do about 5,000, it's a little over 5,000 containers, uh, container moves a week. Um, and that volume continues to grow. So, you know, when you look at the capacity, it's one of those things that, you know, we continue to have those record years. So we look at, you know, those volumes and I'm not sure that, you know, we know what the cap is right now because we continue to grow and our team continues to find ways to accept that growth and ensure that our ports are not only can take the growth, but they also continue to do uh, what they call is turnaround time. So as those trucks hit the port, they want to get in and get out quickly. And our team is is very focused on that, not only accepting the new growth, but also the turnaround time, which makes us very uh, attractive from, you know, cargo shipments. And, but yeah, those, those general cargo has continued to grow every year, as well as our container gate movements. So it, it's just, you know, I don't know that we have a match right now. We we'll continue to grow, continue to watch that growth. Um, but that team, that team does amazing things with making sure that all that new cargo, you know, we have ways to get them in and out of that gate efficiently, which is very important in you know that industry. Well, we've seen uh, those scary pictures of the ports in on the West Coast where the ships are uh, not able to, to dock because there's no space, and then. If you do dock, there's no space to unload because the loads on the shore have not been distributed. We haven't had any of those supply problems, have we, in North Carolina? No, no, sir. One of the things that, you know, our biggest issue is we watch for any type of, um, you know, what we call blank shipments. And if we have a shipment coming over, 
that for whatever reason, whether it be storms or they're redirected, you know, we're we're constantly in contact with the manufacturers and the shippers to make sure that we're ready. And like I said, the the CX the CCX opportunities really helped us because uh, they have ability there to offload and store as well as what we have internally on our ports and just continuing to look at the volumes and how do you plan. And that's one thing that this leadership team does good at the ports is plan ahead and look for, you know, those opportunities when you see them and how are we going to handle uh, They've done a great job both in Moorhead and um, at Wilmington. I'm going to skip back to a subject that I should have asked earlier in the program. I-40 and I-85 are paralleled together for a number of miles between Raleigh-Durham and Greensboro, and uh, the roads have been expanded and expanded, and now for the most part, most of that is four-lane, but it's still very crowded. What happens when that those roads get overloaded? Where are the alternative routes? Are there any alternative routes being planned to take the burden off that that stretch that covers so much of the transportation and uh, vehicles in North Carolina? So what we normally do is we'll look at, it's called an ADT, an average daily traffic. Um, and we take those counts frequently to look at the volumes on our routes. And what we have uh, 14 divisions that manage um, their areas. And that division would, you know, they're looking at what you know when they get to a certain level peak level that they feel you know we need to look at some alternate travel routes you know that would be the thing that each division does and you know 40 and 85 will be no exception uh to those processes and i know that they're continuously looking at not just those routes but all of our routes because you know we have multiple routes that at some point in time we've got to look at a future capacity of those roadways and what does that mean for surrounding routes does it mean we have a new segment of roadway do we have a bypass um, what are some things that we need to do to alleviate congestion and it goes back to funding so no matter what we look at we've got to have the dollars uh, future revenue to be able to do those things and why it's so important you know when we talk about budget it's that future revenue and you know this is just another item that would be on there for uh, attention and expansion of anything that we're doing. Well, that's, that's uh, something that, that I think everyone's kind of interested in because I guess you'd be building a bypass around the bypass, which is sort of incredible <laughs> to think about. Uh, you know, the other problem that you have is uh, unexpected growth. For example, the, the VinQuest uh, manufacturing plant is going to have 7,000 employees. How do you plan for traffic in those areas? Those roads weren't built to have that kind of traffic during uh, uh, commute time. When do sure. you start working on that? Immediately. Yes, sir. Uh, yesterday, as I was uh, I told the other day, but yeah, we've been fast. Um, you know, with the great partnership we have with our commerce uh, division and also the general assembly, um, you know, as we're looking at those routes, we're, we're also telling, you know, our partners how much it would cost to increase, you know, the, the much needed uh, roadway work there. And they've been great at, you know, telling us, yes, we, we agree, uh, we need to fund those. So we've been, you know, great partnership there 
um, and we continue to find ways to work with uh, not only you know with our commerce uh, division, but also with the General Assembly on not only are you going to have you know this great opportunity for VinFast and the manufacturing, but to your point, we've got to provide you know the infrastructure network there that they need to be successful. Um, and so far, that's been very successful for us and planning that out. Um, for them and also at the Toyota site. During one of our breaks, I asked Eric if there was anything that we had not covered that he would like to cover, and he brought up something that everybody is concerned about these days. But uh, it is a matter of major concern, uh, not only for his department, but for almost all businesses and all forms of government. But that's the matter of human resource development and hiring. Uh, so uh, you apparently need a, have a lot of open positions and the need for new people. Tell us a little bit about that and how people can get information about going to work for the North Carolina Department of Transportation. Absolutely. So we're sitting you know, at about a 20, 22% vacancy rate in our department. We're about 8,000, a little over 8,000 headcount here in our entire department. And just in motor vehicles alone, you know, we've got over 100 vacancies there just at our Rocky Mount office. And, you know, we've done things like job fairs. Um, when QVC had their unfortunate, you know, fire, we made sure that, you know, a job fair there was, you know, the first hour we dedicated just for the QVC employees. Um, so, you know, always opportunities across our great state. Look at our, uh, go to our website and you can find our job openings there. And apply please <laughs> we've, we've got needs all across our great state and you know from a driver's license examiner from a temporary temporary employee to a transportation worker to engineering accounting you know if you think of it we probably have an opportunity for you so just continue to look um, on our postings and you know we'll we'll do a lot of through linkedin and pushing out as much recruitment as we can uh, but we do have a couple job fairs that you know we ensure that we attend and make sure people know about them so yes please 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 thank you for that so uh, shameless plug for me no no it's you know this is a problem that everyone's having we i suspect we've got about uh, uh, about the same percentage of openings in our company and i, I know almost all employees do we've got about 30 seconds uh left uh, for you to tell me what's uh, the top of your agenda as you go to work uh, tomorrow and next week. What, what's at the top of your agenda right now? What are the things you're most concerned with, especially with the General Assembly being in session and, and um, so forth? So I think for me, it's, uh, you know, it's future revenue. Future revenue for us is very critical to, you know, deliver on the projects that our citizens need and want. And, you know, our, our manpower, ensuring that, you know, we have staffing levels that we need to also continue to provide the level of service that our citizens need and request from us and, you know, should want and should need. They're the two, the top two right now. Great. Eric, thank you so much for spending time with us. Eric Boyette, the Secretary of uh, Transportation for the state of North Carolina. Our program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. That's until next week, same time, same station. Hope you and yours have a very, very good week. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.